Welcome to Just a GP podcast. It's Dr. Ashley Broomfield again, and I have with me Charlotte, Charlotte Hespie. Hespie. Hi, and welcome. Hi, Beck Hoffman. Hello. And our special guest, Dr. Michael Wright. Michael Wright. Hello, everyone. And welcome. soon to be Dr. Dr. Michael Wright, I understand. Hopefully, yes. I cool. nearly finished my PhD. Yeah. So, um, well, you finished your PhD, you're just waiting for them to approve it. But I've still got to do, respond to my reviewers' comments as right. well. So it might still take a few weeks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but um, fingers crossed. Nearly there. Excellent. And so we're chatting to you here at GP18. Can you tell us about your personal highlight of this week? Um, well, my personal highlight is I'm now back on the Gold Coast, and I used to um, have a practice and work on the Gold Coast for a number of years. So it's quite exciting running into all these familiar faces, and we've all gotten a little bit older. But um, no, it's been great. Sort so of why are you back on the Gold Coast, Michael? Because GPA teams on the Gold Coast. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So it's been great. No, so it's been uh, that's actually been my highlight. Sort of running and going. Now is that? Yes, it is. So no, it's been really good. Cool. Well, I'll go next. Um, so it's Charlotte, and my highlight of the week apart from being at GP18 is that I had the opportunity of being at this all-day seminar looking at avoidable hospitalizations and particularly from the primary care perspective and I got to present how I thought that might be look like from general practice but it was a fantastic day there were really good speakers and I learned so much about the sort of the bigger picture of some of the opportunities that we can take in terms of improving people's health to actually be able to avoid hospital. So that's great. My highlight of the week is also going to be about GP18, but then also about this podcast, in that how exciting it's been to actually go around to people that I've not met before, I don't know, and then say how much they love this podcast. And then reflecting to see that we've actually had um, quite a lot of people listen to it, which I think is really cool. And also now makes it more real than what it was a few weeks ago. That yes. having <laughs> before and after, yeah. actually having people listen to it um, is really nice and actually really inspiring to keep going and do more. So thank you. That's really cool. I agree. Um, we've launched the podcast with five episodes, and we started promoting it on Friday, and we printed stickers and mm. and. Um, it, we've had almost 600 listens since Friday of all the five episodes. And so it's been really exciting for me to actually um, see that what we're doing that people are kind of interested in. And I really hope that people keep listening. But my personal highlight specifically about this is that there's been a lot of GPs that I've spoken to this week that are really keen to come on our podcast and talk about the issues that we're talking about. And we've got a huge long list of of really cool people that are going to come on and discuss with us the issues that we've been discussing already. So, so keep checking just yeah. a GP for all the exciting yeah. um, episodes. But today, Michael, it's all about you because this is part of our, um, the Just a GP doing research mm-hmm. series. And we're really keen to hear about your, your research because yours is slightly different from a lot of GP research because it's about the economics yeah. and and really the implications of what that means to us. So tell us about it. Thanks, Charlotte. So my PhD has been looking at the value of continuity of care in general practice. And I've worked as a GP in Australia, but I've also worked as a GP in the UK. And in both settings, people say, oh, we really value continuity of care, but it's very different. So as a GP in Australia, I kind of thought continuity of care was about seeing the same doctor. Whereas when I was in the UK, they would say, oh, no, it's just about people coming to the same practice. And I was thinking they're very, well, 
they felt like very different things to me. And so what I wanted to do was to try and investigate and try and understand, is there a value in going to the same GP or going to the same doctor compared to, you know, what we call doctor shopping, but, you know, attending more than one practice. And so that's basically what my whole PhD is about. But I wanted to value it in terms of, I suppose, trying to get some numbers behind it. And, you know, rather than ask, you know, and I've seen some previous work where people have asked, you know, patients, do you think it's important? And people would say yes, and GPs think it's important, but I wanted to try and get something a bit statistically stronger. So I've done my PhD in health economics, and in, in that, we, I've been analysed, done a number of studies where we've been analysing the differences between people who get all their care from one GP compared with people who get all their care from um, one practice but see multiple GPs compared with multiple practices. And then trying to understand the differences. So, so tell us, are there differences? Yeah, there are. So there have been, a f there, as I said, there's been a number of bits of research within the PhD. Um, the first bit we were trying to understand is how commonly do people go to more than one practice. So we know that about 80, over 80% 80 of people say they have a usual GP and over 90% say they've got a usual practice. But then in a, we ran a survey and in that survey we found that despite those figures, over a quarter of people report going to more than one, more than one practice in the previous year. So even though people say, you know, identify a usual practice, they often go to another practice. And in our current system where there's not sharing of records between the practices, that's, you know, that potentially could lead to some loss of information. Yeah, and fragmented care. Yeah. And doubling up of resources and all Waste of those other things. Yeah. Exactly. So it sort of, it, it, it's, it, it's a potential problem in a, lot of, in a lot of ways. Now, it could be good because people get better access. You know, they might not be able to see their regular GP, so they go and see another GP. But I think we identified that the problem's a lot bigger than what we originally thought. Like, I don't think we thought that over 25% of people would be going to multiple practices. I think we thought the number was a lot smaller. So that's sort of the first bit. And most of my research was using a data set called the Australian Longitudinal Study of Women's Health, which is a large sample of over 50,000 Australian women who are in four age cohorts. Sorry, are we have to keep this door open? We just need a bit of an overflow for the guests coming in. Oh, okay. We're just running out of tables. Sorry. Um, Okay, well, let's just stop the podcast and we'll, yep. why don't we move up to, one, my, to my room. So we've just had to change locations because the room that we were in started serving drinks and... Sadly, we had to move. Sadly, yeah. we had to move. <laughs> no drinkies for us. Yeah. <laughs> so, Michael, you were just talking about how you collected your data. Yeah. So um, I used a big sample from... It's called the Longitudinal Study of Women's Health. So it's a big study of over 50,000 women who have been surveyed every three years about their health and their health service utilisation. And in the study, women were asked, do you always go to the same GP and do you go to the same practice? And so that let me look at continuity at both a practice level and a GP level. And that's something which you can't work out from Medicare. So if I look at Medicare data, I can see if someone's had 10 GP visits in a year, but I, and I can tell how many GPs they've seen, but I don't know where the GPs are. So they all might be in the same practice or they might all be in different practices. So were you able to follow up those same women with the number of visits that they've had? Um, you could, yeah. So the, the survey, it's, it's actually a really um, helpful database and it's got a, a really rich database and has a lot of useful information and it's also linked to Medicare data as well. So I could verify 
to a point how many visits people had had. And I could use that in some of the tests. So anyway, what, what I was trying, starting to say is that I then did some analysis trying to work out what characteristics are associated with women who go to the same GP and then what characteristics are associated with women who go to the same practice but see different GPs. And what we found is that there were a few differences between them. So um, compared with people who, as people, as women had more GP visits, they were initially more likely to go to the same practice. Um, and then when they became the most frequent users, so attended sort of seven or more times per year, they then were more likely to identify with a regular GP rather than just with a practice. And as women became older, they were more likely to have continuity with the GP. And also when they had multiple medical conditions, they're also more likely to have continuity. Now, none of these things are particularly surprising because you kind of think, well, that makes sense. But it was interesting to show that the GP level continuity and the practice level continuity had slightly different types of people. Um, and if you didn't measure both types, then you're not going to tell the differences. So that was the second study. And then the third study was trying to understand if you do have continuity of care, do you get better quality care? Now, this is a pretty hard thing to measure. Um, and what I was able to use was look at how, how, women's, uh, the, how women participate in screening. So like cancer screening, so having mammograms and having pap tests. And then I've done a number of analyses, which, some of which I presented at the conference earlier, um, which show that women who have GP level continuity or practice level continuity are more likely to participate in screening. And these sort of relationships hold, even when you control for lots of other stuff like their access to GPs and whether they can see a female GP and their education. So including a number of other sort of confounders, we find that that's still a relationship. But probably more interesting is I analysed women after they'd become overdue a pap test so, and then looked at whether they tested any earlier if they had a regular GP or had continuity with a GP or a practice. And they did. So women were more tested significantly earlier if they had GP continuity. Were there any differences between if they had practice level continuity or GP level continuity in relation to the screening? A, a lot of them were pretty similar. So the main difference was having any continuity was better than not having continuity. And, and most of the um, results were similar between practice and GP level continuity. But then we did a few extra analyses controlling for sort of some personal characteristics. And once we controlled for them, the personal level continuity was a little bit higher. So, so having we, a regular GP that you identified with versus a practice led to higher rates of screening? Higher screening rates, yeah. And it, as I said, it was only a small difference, but it was a measurable difference. But the main difference is between having no continuity and, and some. Which is interesting, isn't it? Because if I then reflect on that as a GP, I think it would be, even if they're in the same practice, you can sort of know that that when you're seeing them at, on an individual level, it's easier to have those conversations and reminders than when you're seeing them sort of more intermittently, you're more likely to deal with just the issue that's been presented rather than have a bigger holistic picture about that particular person at that time so if someone's just bouncing yeah in a practice between different people they may be slightly less likely to yeah. have the preventive care conversations than someone who is just seeing the same person each time within but, the same practice exactly and i think like bouncing around within the practice as you say like i think at least you have the information retained within the practice and 
if I've only seen you once, I go, oh, you come here regularly, but you haven't had your test done. So I'm, I'm probably more likely to recommend than if you've never been to the practice before. But then there is also a benefit from having like a strong doctor-patient relationship. So if you've got someone who you see regularly, who potentially as a patient, you might trust the advice of the doctor more. And as a GP, I might be more likely to suggest that you have your test because I'm more interested in your well-being than potentially if I've only ever seen you once. Interest, you know, Michael. I mean, I'm just, again, doing that reflection. Yeah. So excuse me as I do that. But just thinking, again, my own experience, when I see my own patients for follow-up who have seen some of the others for, say, two or three visits before they've seen me because I haven't been available, it's less likely that they bring up the, oh, it's time for your bowel screen test. Um, it'll sit there on the reminder, yeah. and it's there, but because they are dealing, it's, it's a newer patient to them, so they are, they're more overwhelmed with the need to to sort of get to grips with the patient for today. Yeah, and I think you're right. And I think, I suppose the point is that both of those, even those patients are probably more likely to have a bowel screen than people who jump between multiple practices. But there is a definite benefit from having the regular GP. Were there any downsides to continuity, Michael? Look, it's, given the research that I, I probably can't answer that. I mean, they're potentially and this isn't something that I could measure from the data that I had, but, you know, maybe people who have too much, well, let's say too much care from one person, they might get, things might be missed. You know, maybe their doctor could get complacent. Now, I don't, that's not something that I can really um, investigate. And I mean, I suppose the results that I showed that basically that there are benefits to it. It's really interesting you raise that though, Michael, because in an interview with Edwin, which if anyone's interested, they can go and um, have a listen. I was talking about quality care and for me my own experience as a GP is that it, it, when you're seeing somebody really regularly it's actually really easy to only focus in on the thing that you are regularly seeing them for and the other dimensions of care sort of fall not into a chasm but mm. sort of into that back room and they're not in the forefront of that sort of regular conversation and that's particularly so I find for my mental health care patients who come and see me for counselling stuff that it's much easier for their physical health needs to fall off that immediate agenda so I know from personal experience and it took me to change the way in which I did that approach to actually bring the level of care to the same for everybody. No, And potentially that physical management of their mental health would be even worse if you weren't seeing them. Like, I know you feel like you focus on their mental health, but potentially with a longer-term relationship with the patient, you do hopefully take a more holistic approach. Yeah, but it, it, I suppose it's a really good opportunity to sit back and think about, yeah, what am I bringing in having that continuity of care, but also making sure that you don't then take for granted certain bits that you know about the patient and that you do revisit things and you ask the questions again and have that new fresh approach because you know sometimes that's the thing of oh I need to send you to someone else to use have a fresh set of yeah. eyes on you and we we sort of and what is it about the fresh eyes that's different mm. it, um, and so it's about sort of taking about what do I think is going on and Start sort of getting, o- getting over all the assumptions. Yeah, yeah, whereas after you've seen someone for a while, potentially you just assume, oh, that's why they're here. Yeah. Whereas it might be something completely different. I actually really like when some of my patients see other GPs in my practice while I'm away because they may only be seeing other GPs in my practice for a 
an update of their script or a, you know they might have a an infection or something that they an injury that they've sustained and because that consult doesn't need to be as long that person has then got the time to look at their preventative screening things like pap smears or look at the reminder and see that I've put a reminder in there and suggest to them that they come back and talk to me about that reminder so um, I think at a practice level I can understand why your research has shown that continuity of practice is useful as well especially when the GPs in that practice are working collaboratively together mm. and understand that we, we have those systems in place and remind each other and our patients of, of what things are they need to be doing or what we need to be focusing on with their health. And I, and I think we as GPs we're you know on average working less too so we're probably you know not working 80 hour weeks like we're told that people used to work and that's a good thing but it does mean that maybe our patients can't always get an appointment to see us <laughs> so that we probably need to make them feel like quite comfortable and help them to say if I'm not here please come and see so and so. But isn't that the joy of the electronic record it makes it so much easier mm. to go flick 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 and get a feeling of who that patient is while um they're seeing other people in the yeah. patient. I'm certainly far more comfortable about seeing a patient that's not mine in my patient record system because we know where everything is, yeah. we know how we store the data and you can get a really quick feeling for who they are. And it's easier to do that, like it's easier to see a new person to you in your practice than it is to see a new patient when you've got nothing, nothing to go with. Yeah. yeah. But from what you've said, for me, I do a walk-in clinic at one point it's actually really important that we then recognise that there is a big cohort of people who are underserviced, who don't have a regular GP, who don't have a regular GP clinic, and either invite them to become a regular patient of yours or a regular patient at the clinic, or ask those questions that may not have been asked. See if they have got a regular GP, see if they are underscreened. And I guess that's something that I think I'm gonna take away and start doing for those walk-in clinics, which although they're meant to be script clinics mm. and never script clinics and they probably shouldn't be script clinics. I, and I think that's something actually, I just had a bit of a bit of this research published in the um, HAGP journal and asking how do we sustain continuity of care in the modern health system? And that's a perfect example of like, we don't, we're not saying everyone has to see the same GP, but providing the support for patients, asking people, you know, mm. do you have a usual GP? And if you are that usual, you know, if they say, yeah, it's you, then I think you should feel free to provide all the holistic care and preventative health and go, okay, this is, I'm responsible for this. Whereas if they say, no, look, it's not you, it's so-and-so, then I go, great, that's fine. Should I send them my notes so that they know what we've done here? Because otherwise they're not going to know. So I think, you know, identifying that and sort of having this question, this conversation with patients is important. So I guess that takes me to my question, which is what do you feel are the implications of your research for the future of general practice? Um, well, I suppose that's the first bit that I think this shows. I mean, look, it's limited research. It's only looking at this area of screening, but we show that higher continuity of care is associated with higher quality care. Um, and I'd suggest that we should be encouraging people to have find a regular, you know, see a regular GP or find a regular GP if they don't. And I know, you know, that might not be possible, but, and certainly when people do attend us, ask, am I your usual GP? Provide holistic care if you are. And I mean, I'm not saying don't provide it if it's only a once off, but, mm. you know, try and recognize that, send the or information. patients to find a GP or a yeah. practice that they identify with that they can have continuity of care with. Yeah, yeah ask yeah. those questions. And um. I guess we can promote and say, 
there's some research to suggest that having a regular GP and a reg or a regular practice it means that you get better care. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's like I always say to to new patients who come and see me, look. You know, it's really important that you feel comfortable yeah. seeing me, and it is really important to have continuity of care. So, please, if you don't feel like I'm someone that you feel mm. is the right match, then please, you know, either try someone else in the practice because we've got plenty of choice in mine, yeah. or you go somewhere else to do it and don't think I'm going to fend it because it's actually about you and you need yeah. good health care. Yeah. yeah. I, I do that quite frequently. You know, if someone comes in to see me the first time and I say, look, you know, if it's, you know, we'll just see how it goes. It's a bit like a job interview for both of mm-hmm. us and we might decide that we prefer to work somewhere else. So yeah. don't, um, you know, you're not trapped here. Do you want to plug a little bit about the this edition of AGGP? Oh, okay, yeah, if I get the chance. So, yeah, this month's edition of Australian Journal of General Practice is a themed issue about continuity of care. Awesome. Um, so there's a number of prominent Australian researchers who have written articles for it. I've written the editorial. So so there's an article from Claire Jackson, Steve Hamilton, and just looking at the variety of continuity of care research. And it's a pretty big field and it means lots of different things to different people. And hopefully the research that I've done within my PhD has sort of answered a small part of this question. Oh, great. I'm going to pull it out. Good. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. So we're probably coming to the end of the time where we have lots of social events now that we need to attend to. Mm. Except that I just want to just quickly pop in another question if yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah. And it's about, you know, for you as a GP, yeah. how fulfilling and exciting have you found yeah. doing research? Yes. Um, good question. No, I have really enjoyed it. And I think doing a PhD has been challenging and it is challenging but finding a topic that I'm interested in that's relevant and actually having a really supportive university so I'd done my PhD at the Centre for Health Economics Research um, so in a at the University of Technology in Sydney so it's in a health economics a business school rather than a medical school but they've been really supportive so I think trying to find the a right niche. Mix. Well, that's what I mean. It, like, I, it, if this was the kind of research that I wanted to do, and that was the group that, that were really supportive of assisting me to get there. Well, hopefully get there, as yeah. I said. Oh, and I guess helps you to look outside our industry and yeah. how other industries can kind of help us to work better for our patients. Yeah, try and, yeah, like you say, broaden my uh, outlook. Great, which then means that we can move on to... <laughs> Um, Michael, would you like to share with us um, a sort of a clinical tip or resource of the week? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, uh, well, so I've been wandering around GP18 and they've got this big exhibition hall and one of the most interesting and really helpful one-page things that I've seen is a thing put out by the Speech Pathologists Australia which had a one-pager of kids at different ages of what my child should usually be able to do. And I mean, I know we've had it in the blue book, but it was just great to see as, as a single resource. And it's on the, I know it's on the Speech Pathologist website. So it's so on the Speech Pathologist website of Australia. and it's a one-page resource. Excellent. Yeah. So, so I'll find whatever website oh, you can that post is. It. Yeah, okay. and I'll post it in the show notes. Great. So um, I'll take Nabby in there with Allergy Pal, which is an app. And this is a really cool app for parents of children with a food allergy. Um, it allows them to actually sort of have a, a sort of like a food allergy management tool they okay. can upload onto it for their actual child's allergy management plan um, about EpiPen stuff 
and to also sort of store any other sort of um, information that they might want and really helps with the appropriate foods that can and can't be used. And it's actually really empowering for parents who a lot of the time don't feel that they can leave their children with other carers because they're so afraid that their food allergy um, is actually going to be set off. Okay. And um, they just have to share that app for with all the child's information. And I, with the Australia actually having one of the highest numbers of children with food allergies, I think that this is probably an app that's really um, empowering for those parents. Great. So I'm actually going to go next because I've got a similar one, and I've changed my resource of the week after listening to that because I really like <laughs> the um, allergy.org.au website, which is the Australian Society of Clinical Immunology for Australia's website. They have amazing patient handouts related to anything allergy um, from what you can feed your child to what they can have at daycare to the handouts you can take to daycare about the child's allergy. And if you haven't used it as a resource before, it's great. Excellent. Anaphylaxis management plans, allergic rhinitis management plans. And so then they just put it, the parents just put it all up on their allergy power for their child. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's really good. I'm going to share a website that I was found through a colleague this week. So it's by Dr. Wendy Burton, who's a GP in Brisbane, and she's the chair of the um, special interest group in relation to antenatal care for GPs. So she's developed a website called Maternity Matters, and she's trying to bring together resources for patients and doctors in an easy to access information way so that they have a one-stop shop in terms of information about what oh, they Sounds great. Mm-hmm. Yes, Ash. I had a look at it. It looks really good. It does. Yeah. Can I just mention one other final resource? Yeah, yeah. go for it. There's a new Twitter group, which is at GP Podcasting. Yeah. So, um, yeah, make sure you add it to your Twitter feed. <laughs> Apparently, it's just a GP, a multi-layered podcast for a multi-layered profession doing done by GPs for GPs. So, yeah. add it to your Twitter. We should listen to that yeah. one. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. <laughs>